Zach, I discovered a real-life cheat code. Tell me about it. And I'm not much of a cheater. No, we know. This is one I'll encourage. You're a man of quite the integrity. I'm, I, I take pride in my integrity, my character. I know you do. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. But just, let's just start with something I hate. I feel like we talk about things I okay. hate a light on here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good place to start. Yeah, it's, it's, it's home for Yeah, me. let's get there. Hating let's, things. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a passionate guy, Zach. We know. We know. That's and good. I like long walks on the beach. I'm, oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> wrong, is it your dating is. profile? No, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. But I hate the grocery store. Yeah, most people do. And it, what mean, is your grocery store of choice, though? Uh, Wally World. Of course. I mean, Sam Walden. <laughs> Thank you for your services, sir. Come on. But I hate your stores. Yeah, I you mean, know? they're all awful. We, I mean, we literally interviewed the architect. That's right. So I have, I have no problem with the architecture. He built a, a big box. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, great job. Yeah, great wonderful. Job it's beautiful. Business by Design is his book. Right? That's right. Raymond Harris. Raymond Harris, Business by Design. Yeah. Great interview. You can check it out. talks about... Things that are good. That's right. But I'm about to tell you things that are not good. Yeah. And that's being in Walmart. Going to the store, walking up and down the aisles, sitting in a Ugh, checkout line. I just never – I never know where the stuff is. Yeah. And I'm like – I'm the guy where it's like, if I don't know, I'm just going to go ask you as an employee. But mm. I can never even find an employee in Walmart. Yeah. Here's another thing that kind of breaks off of that. I, As you know, I recently got married. Congratulations. And I found I've out – I've congratulated him before. This. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Thank you. We talked about your wife. You're hot. Uh, you, the, the, <laughs> the receptionist. I put oh, words in your mouth. Is that's saying right. That the, your wife the receptionist. That's right. You said that. Well, me. once you get married, you quit going to Walmart as much. Really? I guess just wives don't like Walmart as much. They like like H-E-B, Central Market. TJ's. Trader Joe's. Trader I hate Joe's, to say it. Yeah. But I'm like – She's like, what do you want as we're walking up and down the aisles of Trader Joe's? And to I'm leave. Like, You're like, to leave. <laughs> yeah, I would love to leave. But I'm like, I would love just some Ritz crackers and some Oreos. <laughs> yeah. And I then mean, we go to this section. Just she's like, faithful. here's their crackers and cookies. They're all Trader Joe's brand. You're like, I'm not seeing America's favorite cookies. This is on not what I right asked now. for. Yeah. Yeah. So Walmart has what I want. That's just another thing about but grocery they, stores. Yeah, they have so many things that I don't want right. that I have to sift through. Yep. And like I was saying, like I'm going to ask the employee. There's no employee to be found. Yep. And yep. if there is, they have AirPods in. AirPods, and they probably don't <laughs> and know. And they're stacking like <laughs> broken down cardboard boxes. And I'm like, you don't know where the store is. No. You live in the back. Yeah. You, you couldn't even take me to the milk. <sighs> yeah. Right. And I at least know where the milk is. <laughs> I mean, like, I kind of have a route developed where I yeah. know what I'm getting. But milk, if I needed eggs, and else, biscuits. If I, yeah, if I needed something off my list, I am done for. Yeah, it's over. So, yeah, I dread going to the store. You make a list? I mean, like, mentally. Uh, I see. My mental list. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I'm not no fool, Zach. No, I'm you're not, not going to spend more time You're not a psychopath. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a middle-aged woman. <laughs> my mom makes lists. That's right. That's right. Uh, and I anyway, love for it. But, but, this, but this cheat code you found. Yes, 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 yes. You see... <laughs> Zach, you can go online to Walmart's website, and right. this is not a sponsor. Walmart. I mean, I've only talked about how much I hate Walmart. If That's it was right. A they would not sponsor. They would not sponsor us. me. But you can go online and say, "This is what I want," and they will literally go do the worst part for you. Mm. You just pay online. Mm. You don't have to pay shipping. You just drive, pick pay it up, shipping. and then you, you. I've heard you can even like have it. Sh- literally, they take it to your doorstep, which yeah. I've never done that. But what? you literally go. They well, that's like it, through Instacart. Have you heard of Instacart? I have. You worked there. I did do Instacart a few it, times. It was a low season. <laughs> I did it do it. It was a low season. Anyway, for you, anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So like, they literally come, put it in your car, and then it's good. And if you, they can't find it, they literally just switch out for something that's close to. Here's the flaw. I ordered so like mm-hmm. I like usually get like little chicken breast things mm-hmm. that like have, have little slits. And uh, you, I accidentally got like the massive ones. <laughs> so like, you can't so you get the tell whole the chicken. size. There's no, they need to have like, 
They need to have like it probably had like ounces an on egg there for comparison. But I need like a size comparison. I want them to have an egg. <laughs> you can you just get like the four ounce? Well, I just breast? couldn't find it, and I was like, I was already having PTSD. Also, also you're the, not a middle aged woman. I'm yeah. not a middle aged woman, so yeah. I don't have a list. We'll get back there. But I feel like we also should address my Instacart phase. <laughs> we just kind of got it. Wasn't really like your a low season. I was, <laughs> of my professional life. Right. I was working full time at the time. Yeah. But I just thought, hey, on the weekends and in afternoons, I could just pick up some shift as Instacart and make a little extra money. Obtain the grain. It's terrible. Don't <laughs> you, do it. You have to go to you have to do what I hate, but at least you get paid. Yeah. But you have to do it for other people. It's horrible. Just that's it. I don't do it anymore. He's I, changed. He, I, he I does grew not up. He, I just he would do not my job advise in this it. Podcast. He doesn't stand by his decision to do it. Don't don't judge him for it, folks. <laughs> anyway, Walmart pickup has changed your life. Yes. And I also found out not found out, but like took advantage of Chipotle. You can order on the app now. Their app used to be buns. It used to be horrible. <laughs> but now delivery, was, right? I used it the other day and it was really good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying technology is the future. You know what they say? Work smart, not hard. That's right. And also, shameless plug, Apple Pay. If you don't have oh Apple Pay, gosh, I'm a big go. fan of that as we well. We know you're a big It's not your a Apple Watch. Yeah, you know, I have whatever. an Apple Watch. Yeah, it is just amazing, especially like this has been a big boom during COVID, I guess. But they literally will come up, open your door for you, open the trunk for them, and they load it for you, and then you drive away. Yes, yes. The worst part of shopping is done for you. Yes. All you have to do is the best part, getting it all inside in one trip. Right. That's yeah. They 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 call me the one trip wonder for. (laughs) That's right. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Cooper McCullough. The one trip wonder. The cheat code himself. That's me, folks. That's what I'm here for. How we doing, Coop? Some daily life hacks, cheat codes. (laughs) I'm doing really good, because I I know that I never have to set foot in a grocery store again. You know what's crazy about this intro, Cooper? What? We don't have an interview yet. We don't. We're still figuring that out. But it's going to be your favorite episode. I bet it is. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause right here. Okay. And then basically you're going to come back and act as though I was here. I, yeah. I will, probably won't be you here. probably won't. Because of our time constraints. It'll just be me. We don't live in the same house anymore. And once we come back, once you hear my voice again, you will know who our interview is. He's going to be explaining it. But guys, I was here, all right? Yeah. Whoever this person is, I'm so excited to hear from them. It's I'll my favorite episode. Right now. It's my favorite episode. Well, without further ado, here's Zach from the future. Thank you, Zach and Coop from the past. It's me, Zach, from the future, coming through the little box, the radio, in your house, just like the old days. But in all seriousness, it's Monday morning, which means it's time for another episode of the Next Generation Leader Podcast. We, we had a busy week this week, which means we had to pull back in, in one of our safety net episodes. This is Dr. Justin Gandy, one of our favorite professors from our time at DBU. He teaches management and leadership at Dallas Baptist University. And one of his classes, which I took as management and leadership, was one of the most impactful classes. I took in the business school at DBU, and we talked today about a, what it looks like to have a biblical worldview looking at servant leadership. One of DBU's mantras is servant leadership, and how do we develop leaders who serve? Because we have Jesus Christ, the greatest leader to ever walk on this planet, gave us a picture of what leadership should look like. And it, all, all you have to look at is the towel in the basin. Nights before he's about to be betrayed and about about to walk towards the cross, he humbles himself and he washes the feet of his disciples. That's the picture of what our leadership should look like as true leaders that follow after Christ. We hope you enjoy this episode. Now here he is, Dr. Justin Gandy. Dr. 
Dr. Gandy, thank you so much for your time yes. and being with us. I want to start by just letting you introduce yourself. Uh, how did you get to where you are today and what are you up to? Okay, well, thank you and it's great to be here with you guys. I appreciate the opportunity. So how did I get here? Well, obviously it's just been the Lord's providence. Uh, more practically speaking, I graduated high school, went to college to study business because that's where all of the promised money was and right. quickly realized that uh, I did not like it uh, at all, or at least the, the major that I had chosen at the time. And kind of felt, I don't know what, a, what I'm going to do, what's going on. The Lord called me to ministry, and I had no clue what that was or even what it meant. I thought in my mind it meant you had to be a missionary uh, or a pastor at some point. So in the back of my mind, I thought, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to go into business. I'll end up in Africa somewhere. But I finished uh, a graduate degree uh, at, in business, and uh, then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go to seminary. Ended up at a seminary working at a summer camp, and through a series of, event, of events, I, there was an opening in my home church where I had grown up uh, for a youth minister position. And several people in the church said, hey, why don't you do it? We think you'd be good. And nobody said no. And right. so I ended up there. And through about seven years as a youth minister, realized that I, I think what God meant way back then when he called me to ministry is not necessarily what a lot of people think of as vocational ministry, but just dedicating whatever vocation I was in to him. And I think that's something I've had to, to learn along the way and how to do that better. But anyway, during my time as a youth minister, I discovered that I really enjoyed teaching like Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, and I didn't really enjoy much of the other stuff. And right. so that led me to think about teaching at a university level. Mm -hmm. All of that led me to another degree, led me to DBU and that's how I got here. That's right, and that's where today. you are yeah. today. You're, you're a professor of, of management and business here at DBU, and I had you for your management class, and so it was very interesting throughout that class learning what really the difference between management and leadership is. Right. So to start our content today, what we want to talk about is servant leadership, or right. rather biblical servant leadership. But as a platform to jump off of, give just your definition of leadership. What is it, and, and how do we attain it? How do we go about it? Right. Well, when you read in the books or articles or online, there's as many definitions for leadership as there are people. My particular definition of leadership is the ability to leverage influence into action. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just something that I've uh, derived over years and, and lots of reading. And it has to do with, with influence. I, I know that right now in our country, we're talking a lot about politics and people who have political capital and how if you're going to move forward with something like impeachment, you're going to expend a lot of political capital to get that done. In, that's what influence is. It's right. just the, the capital that we've built up in our relationships. And a lot of people have this influence or this capital with people, but they don't know what to do with it. It's kind of like this reservoir of, of influence, if you will, that just goes unused. Mm -hmm. Leadership is knowing how to use it or spend it in order to get things done. Right. So you've got a goal that you want to accomplish. You've got to have the influence to do it, but it's not just the influence or the political capital. It's knowing how to use it or spend it to get something done. So my definition of leadership is leveraging influence into action. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and leveraging is, is huge. If you have influence, knowing what to do with it, when, when to do, 
uh, with what you want with it. And so uh, we talk a lot about being a people person or a task person. Right. How does that play into leadership and leveraging your influence? How do you balance people with tasks? Because the ultimate goal in your definition was leading to action. Correct. So how yeah. do we get people to move towards action and, and, and caring for people well, but also remembering the mission why we're there? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm learning that firsthand and uh, and parenting my two kids. I have two boys, five and seven. And man, I don't think there's any better definition of leadership than than good parenting. And I'm I'm not saying I do it well, but being a parent has taught me more about leadership than all the books I've ever read. Right. Uh, and in in leading or parenting my two kids, five and seven, uh, one of them is more the people person, and one of them is more the task person. Right. And so I have to look at them and treat each one of them differently. And so I want to I want them to clean their room. Right. One of them, the task oriented child. Right. I give him a checklist. Okay, I want you to do this and then this and this. And he loves checking things off a list. That's, I mean, he is the achiever. He wants to get things done. And if you can give him a task and say, you know, do this, he's super happy Mm -hmm. because then when he checks it off, you're like, oh, it's so great, man. You did this and this, and he's just ecstatic. My other son, I say, hey, I want you to clean your room. And I say, and before you clean your room, I'm going to chase you around the house twice. Because he just thrives on relationship right. and he wants to be near and with. And so really it's discovering who people are, what makes them tick, kind of what what motivates them to figure out what lever or what button am I going to press? Are mm-hmm. they a more task-oriented person? Or are they more relationship-oriented? Mm-hmm. And whichever one I choose to employ, uh, hopefully will help them move towards action. Right. Now, it does go back to, um, it doesn't really matter which lever you pull, whether it's a task or a relationship. If you don't have that social capital or influence in the bank, they're not going to follow you. Mm-hmm. You know, think about the, uh, the worker. They've, they've been asked by their boss time and time and time again they've, um, to do something. The boss never replenished any of that influence. They never built the bank back up. And they finally just got tired of doing it. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And it wasn't because the boss was uh, doing a relationship action when he should have been doing a task action. It was because he ran out of the fuel. He ran out of the, uh, the capital, if you will, the influence needed to make it all work. Right. What are ways as a leader you can grow that social capital or or gain that equity in order to get people to get things done? Yeah, that's a great question. I think as you figure out people's um, desire, whether they're task-oriented, relationship-oriented, or or most of us are a mix. Uh, We're not purely one side or the other. It's a reciprocal relationship. So if my son is task oriented and I talk to him and say, here's a a list of things I want you to achieve, not only does that move him towards action, but because it speaks to him and his personality, it refills his tank a little bit. Uh, Not completely, but you you pour a little bit more into the uh, the bucket, so to speak. But but primarily, uh, I think you have to focus on really the person himself or herself, right? Look in this kind of leads into servant leadership. I think that's really what we have to offer as Christians is serving one another and pouring into them, focusing on their needs. You know, Paul says, put other people's interests ahead of your own. Mm-hmm. Right? I, that's not just a, a trite saying, but it's a way to let other people know, hey, you're important. And when you do that, it just 
builds the amount of capital or influence you have with them. Right. And so it all comes back to serving people. And I, th- I really and truly believe that servant leadership is the most effective way to leverage your influence to get things done and to, into action. And so want to talk about that. At its core, it, it's kind of a buzzword around the church, around right. Christian universities, that servant leadership is what we want to achieve. But at its very core, what is servant leadership and what sets it apart from just the regular framework of leadership? Yeah. Okay. So servant leadership has been around forever, right? Just like any form of leadership, but the study of it is relatively new. So it was made popular primarily by Robert Greenleaf in the 1970s. He coined the phrase servant leadership. Uh, And I think he got a lot of things right, but I think he got a couple of things wrong. Um, And his original version of servant leadership started off with this concept that um, someone had this innate desire to serve. And so his version and what many people thought about servant leadership for a long, long time was really kind of both words. You served someone because you had this desire. And then after you served them, then you led them. So almost like two separate things sort of artificially mashed together, Mm -hmm. if you will. Um, And there's some truth to that, I guess. But uh, one of the things that doesn't take long to realize is that not no one really has an innate desire to serve. I mean, again, parenting, my kids are not born to serve. They're born selfish, right? Mm -hmm. We're all born selfish. If we've come to desire to serve others, it's been through a choice or life circumstances, transformation. There's no just innate desire. We're not born with it. So I I think he missed it a little bit there. Uh, But then also his early version of servant leadership was primarily this physical act of service, right? Um, uh, I'm going to meet your physical needs, whatever those may be. And by doing so, uh, almost in a sense of like a butler or, or something along those lines, as I serve you, I endear myself to you. I gain this um, social capital, this influence, if you will. And now you're willing to listen to me so that when I lead, you actually follow me. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's, uh, I think there's still some element of that. But as we've progressed in our understanding of servant leadership, it's moved um, beyond even that uh, a little bit. But t- to answer your really original question, what is it? It's the idea that people should serve others either by meeting physical or emotional, spiritual needs, and that by doing so, it generates influence uh, with that person, which then allows you to move into a leadership position. Right. And how do you fight against it almost being selfish? Like, I'm going to serve you in order to get something from you. So it's almost transactional servant right. leadership. Is, it, is there a difference between that in genuine service in servant leadership of I want to serve because I love you and I want to serve you rather than I want to get something out of you. I would say there is a difference. I don't know how to tell the difference. Right. Right. I mean, if you if you really focus on my interest, how do I know if you're self-seeking without maybe uh, uh, figuring out in the long term? Maybe you can tell in the long term, but in the short term, it'd be really hard for me to to discover that and so, because it's really your motives, your heart behind it. And it may look good on the surface and then may be revealed later that, oh, you're really only doing that for your own right. self-interest. So that's a tough question. I don't, I don't know uh, how you might, I guess time will tell, which right. is not really a great strategy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it builds the social capital that you were talking about. And that's what servant leadership is about if you are able to get that equity Mm -hmm. and then people then are moved to action based on your servant leadership. So kind of talk about that, what it looks like practically for a leader. 
Yeah, so I think what I would uh, encourage someone to do or what it looks like in my life is um, focusing on their interest. And that, I think, is where biblical servant leadership has something to offer that Greenleaf's original version of servant leadership fell short on. Uh, in particular, going back to, to what Paul said, if we're, if we're going to really focus on the interest of others, who gets to determine what those interests are? Right? And if you read the literature on servant leadership, there are a lot of people that talk about putting the interest of others first. You'll see that phrase in secular writings and, and almost every article on servant leadership. But nobody is really addressing who gets to determine those interests. Sometimes it's implied that the the leader, the organization gets to determine, sort of impose upon you, I think this is what's best for you. And in a lot of cases, that's what we do as parents. We, we look at our children and we say, we think this is what's best for them. Right? And that's right and good in that circumstance, but it may not always be good for an organization right. or for a boss to say, okay, employee, I think this is what's best for you. Um, on the flip side, some articles, some research says that, well, maybe the employee gets to determine what's best. So maybe you as a leader would say, okay, what do you want? Or what, what would make you happy? Let me serve you in that way. And to be honest, I don't think either one are correct. Um, and e neither one are really biblical. When you look at the, the biblical account of, of leadership, what Jesus did, what Paul did, what Moses, uh, any example, they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit and upon God leading them to determine what was best. Mm -hmm. And there are many instances where leaders in Scripture did things that were maybe at the time they didn't really seem like it was it was best for the individual. There's no way the individual, you know, Peter would have said, hey, this is what I think is what's best for me uh, when, when Jesus rebuked him. And there's, uh, in fact, remember when... Um, Jesus was telling the disciples he had to go to the cross, and, and they were like, no, no, that's, that's the wrong thing. You don't right. need to do that. And he always talked about, well, I'm just obeying the will of the Father, mm -hmm. right? And in fact, he prayed, you know, this is really not my will. So Jesus wouldn't have chosen the cross for himself necessarily, um, and other people wouldn't have chosen it for him. So unless we seek out the Lord and we seek out God's direction for what's best, I think we're going to miss it. Um, if that makes sense. Totally. So what's the difference in the frameworks of just, say, Greenleaf servant leadership and then biblical, true biblical servant leadership? I think one major difference is focusing on um, or allowing the Lord and, and Scripture to speak into those interests. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's where it starts. Uh, throughout history, when you see examples of great biblical servant leaders, whether it's uh, Martin Luther King uh, Martin Luther himself, even Mahatma Gandhi to uh, an extent, he wasn't seeking scripture, but he, was, um, he wasn't seeking biblical um, truth, but he was seeking what he thought um, outside forces were determining. So in all those cases, it's, I'm not going to determine for you what's best for you. You're not going to determine for yourself. We're going to look to some uh, higher authority. So we're going to look to scripture. And so I think it, it starts there. Um, and then it moves into, um, am I willing to follow through with that even when what's in your best interest is not in mine, mm. right? And true biblical servant leadership will continue the, the pursuit of the other, whereas Greenlee's version of self-servant leadership 
because most of it is centered on the organization, it's it's all it's it's mutually self-serving. It's right. maybe it's good for the employee, but it's good for the organization as well. I don't think they go as far as I'll do anything for the employee, even if it costs me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what we see throughout Scripture, and I think as as le- as our leaders or parents of our children, we'd be willing to do anything for them, even if it costs us. So how do we kind of fight against following our feelings or following our emotions? Because I feel like if if we're following what emotions would tell us we want or need in that situation, it's not necessarily being in tune with the Holy, what the Holy Spirit is telling right. us or telling on our heart. So where does that kind of play in the, the listening and being in tune with the Holy Spirit, but also listening to emotions and, and being an emotional yeah. leader and f- listening to the people you're leading? Yeah, that's great because, you know, having empathy, that's one of the hallmarks of Greenleaf Servant Leadership. And I think that that piece is true. We do need to have empathy for uh, others and listen to them. And Mm -hmm. and we can't come in like a a steamroller and say, hey, I know what's best for you because I've been enlightened. And, you know, you're going to do this now or or this is going to be best. But for us as as, uh, Christ followers, it really centers on prayer. Uh, You know, here at DBU, uh, Dr. Cook, one of his favorite verses uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust right. in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, which is kind of, I think, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not my understanding for my kids. It's not my understanding for my employees. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we've all heard that verse since you know we were little. And for a long time, I thought, okay, that's nice and, and simple. But the more I reflect on it, the more profound it is that if we really do trust in the Lord and seek His wisdom, then He guides our path. And He, uh, and I, again, I've seen this in parenting when, when maybe in my own um, flesh I would have thought, "Man, this is what I'd really like to do for my kids." The Holy Spirit and Scripture guides me in a different direction. He leads my path to do what's what's best for them. And and I think it, it shows up a lot in my conversations with my wife. She often reminds me. We've got to choose what's best, not what, not just what's good. Yeah. And most of the time, what I want to do for my kids is good. You know, let's let's get them, let's buy them this, let's go here, let's let's do this. But what's best for them uh, comes from God and comes from from the Holy Spirit. So I I do I don't think it's a complete abandonment of emotion, right? But it's uh, an emotion that is bridled or kept in check by the Holy Spirit, by trusting uh, in the Lord first. Mm, That's good. I want to talk about communication and being able to communicate what you're hearing or where the Holy Spirit is leading you to the people that you're leading. Because if I come into a room and say, this is what we're going to do, I have your best interest in mind, and it's also what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do and telling us where to go, how do we communicate that in in a way that gets people on board with that rather than it coming across as, this is what I want done, or this is what we need to get done because I believe it's best for our company or for our school or for our family. Yeah. I, yeah. You just walk in and say, okay, I have heard from on high. Thus right. saith the Lord, right. this is what you will do. Yeah, right. See how down from the mountain. Right. See yeah. how far that gets you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, really not too far these days. Uh, so how do you communicate that? I, I would say it's twofold. One, it's going to be in the immediate context, like you're talking about, how do you lead a particular meeting? Uh, But two, it's going to be a a longitudinal thing where people are going to be willing to trust you in that meeting because of the past history of you leading them correctly. Mm -hmm. So it's um, something that you build up to, obviously, in your actions. But what do you do in that particular um, meeting? I think a lot of it has to do um, with asking good questions. One of the things that I learned here in the 
the PhD process is just to learn to ask good questions, to, to dialogue. And as you uh, inquire, um, you know, I think about when Jesus was trying to restore Peter, right? He, he said, do you love me? Yeah, three times, right? Why did he do that? Because he was, he could have directly said, hey, Peter, I know what's in your best interest. Right. But he drew him into the conversation by asking the question. He already knew what the answer was. And as a leader, sometimes you already know what the answer is. But for the benefit of the audience, you have to go through this process. That's good. So like with my kids, I know what the answer is. I know what I want them to do. But I ask, some, ask them questions so that they arrive at the conclusion themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's effort, man. It right. takes a long time because they give me a, an answer and then they chase rabbits. I'm like, no, no, no. So what yeah. about this? Yeah, and, yeah. and so I think it's putting the time and effort in and the patience to allow the, uh, the follower, whether it's your, your child, your student, your employee, to get to where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember... Uh, leaders in, in past, I'm just thinking about through my own past, who've told stories about if they did have a, I've heard from on high moment, I've been to the mountaintop. As they told that story, I could hear and, and feel in my spirit that, yes, that is what's true. And so sometimes maybe you do go to in, into the room and say, listen, God revealed this to me, and I think this is what we should do. And if the Holy Spirit is working among you and your people and all the people, then everybody will be in, on board instantly and right. you just move with it. But most of the time, it takes bringing them along gradually to somewhere you already want them to be. Right. Okay. I want to go back to your original definition of leadership and then where we are in biblical servant leadership, because right. I think your original definition is very good and, and can tie into it. So I want to ask how to mend the two. How do we mend biblical servant leadership with the leveraging of influence to lead people to action? Okay, how do we good. mend those together? Right. One way might be to stop thinking about servant leadership as these two words, servant leadership, they're not, they're not bad words, but they kind of put us into a box. And I wonder if service leadership would be better. Mm. And, and here's what I mean by that. And I think this is a way to, to mend or bring in that original definition. If service leadership rather than servant, if I'm in your service, if I'm doing what is best for you, if I'm doing the things that I believe God has led me to do that are on your, I'm in your service, mm. then when I leverage my influence that I have with you into action, the action that I'm going for is for your benefit, right? I'm not going to choose an action that's not in your service. Mm. So I think service leadership to me captures a better um, understanding of what I'm really trying to accomplish. I'm, I want to lead you and I want to lead my, my family, but I want to be in service to them. And sometimes like, you know, with my kids, serving them actually means punishing them, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a benefit. You think about um, all the times in Scripture where God brought punishment or chastisement to His people to bring them back. That's what was best for them in the moment. What they needed at the moment was just a good spanking or you know a good right, yeah. good piece of punishment. Sometimes that's what my children need. Now, if I'm a servant. Servants don't often give punishment. They don't often give course correction. But if I'm in your service, if I'm doing what's best for you, then maybe I'd, I can give course correction. I can give punishment. And sometimes employees need discipline. Right. They need to be 
you know, held to the to the standards. I just uh, finished a, a lot of final grades for the semester, and you know, part of me, the emotional part of me, just wants to give everybody an A and let's go have a merry Christmas. Yeah. But sometimes people need to be held to the standard, and it causes them to to receive a grade that they weren't expecting. But I'm doing it in their service for their long term benefit. Mm-hmm. And um, as I leverage the influence that I have as a professor into that action, the action that I'm moving towards, the end goal is of service to them. And that's what I have to keep in mind. Hmm, That's good. And I want to talk about the mindset of a leader. If we move from leadership to service leadership, like what you're talking about, how do we kind of put on the the metaphorical service leadership glasses and look at people and say, how, how can we change our mindset into thinking like that? Mm. How can a leader go from just thinking it's about me or it's about, it's about what we can gain as a company or, or what I can gain from this and think about I'm in service to you and I have your best interest in mind. How can we, how can we switch to that mindset? Hmm, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a really good answer. Um, the thing that comes immediately to mind is, is what Paul said in, uh, Philippians chapter two, he said, have the same attitude in yourself that we see in Christ. Mm-hmm. And if, if we continue to adopt that attitude, then our mindset will continuously be of service to other people. Right. right? Because uh, uh, as you read through Philippians chapter two, it's talking about Christ was in heaven He looked down upon earth, recognized that what was best for us was to leave that space in heaven and to come down and to uh, be crucified on the cross. So if my attitude is the same as as his, then I'm going to be looking out from my position, wherever that is, professor, parent, boss, um, and recognize that this is not a position or something to be held onto so tightly is what it says in chapter 2, verse 5. But I need to be looking at what is best for them. So I don't know how to do it, but I know that the end goal is to adopt the attitude of Christ, the mindset of Christ. Mm -hmm. Because if I can start looking at people the way that he looked at them, he always looked at them with compassion and what was best for them. He was always looking out. And uh, if I can have just a little bit of that, then it alters my daily decisions. What's best for them and how do I accomplish that? Yeah, and it all comes down to how you see people and, and seeing people with a purpose and, and more than just a number or statistic. So getting practical as we come down the home, stu- home stretch here, what are some practical steps we can take to look out and, and switch our mindset to service leadership? What's practically can we do as a leader to do this, whether it's challenging people, what are the best ways to challenge people and to doing, do it lovingly, or even just every day choosing to serve? Mm-hmm. What are some practical steps we can take as we end? I think one challenge that people have when they think about servant leadership is they they think it's always um, soft and nice. Uh, And I'm not saying be mean. Don't hear me say that. But sometimes being a servant or being in service means doing hard things. And so I think one of the first practical things is just getting over the fear of if I'm going to be a servant leader, that doesn't mean I can't ever make a hard decision or I can't ever bring course correction or punishment or whatever it, it means to be. Servant leaders do not always have to do the popular or the the nice thing. So one practical thing is just telling yourself, you know, I, I can make hard decisions because that, that hard decision could be what's best um, for those individuals. Uh, secondly, I think it's... Um, 
praying through, practically just praying through every decision and making sure that you're being led by the Spirit. I think about what Isaiah said, and he talked about he listens to the Spirit, and if he says to go left, he's going to turn left, or right, he's going to turn right, or just go straight ahead. So with every decision, are you practically praying about the options? Should I turn left, right, or or move ahead? Um, so I think that's one. I think uh, for me in particular, going back to the parenting example, uh, it's very practical for me to bounce things off off my wife uh, as a united couple, as a spirit filled you know person. She often has insights that I don't have, so I say, you know, I'm thinking about this. What are, you know? Are we on the same page here? Right. And she brings confirmation. So finding uh, wise counsel is maybe one of the best pieces of practical advice that you're not out there as a lone ranger. Mm-hmm. That if the spirit is really telling you something, he will bring confirmation of that through others around you. So making sure that you have people surrounding you um, would be another piece uh, of advice. So uh, maybe those three, find wise counsel, don't be afraid to make the hard decisions and pray about every decision. Mm, You can't get any better than that. A little more advice as we end. What would you go back and tell your 20-year-old self? You're looking at 20-year-old, not yet Dr. We don't have time for that one. (laughs) (laughs) What is one piece of advice that you can can give to our listeners and and first to to me and Coop here um, to learn from? I don't think you realize, and and I probably still don't realize, the the long-term consequences of all of your decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know that I would tell myself necessarily about don't do this, do that. But just to realize the ramifications of the decisions you're making as an 18 and 19-year-old person will still be with you when you're 45 and married with kids. Right. Uh, the old analogy of, uh, you know, you, if you hammer a nail and a piece of wood, you can pull the nail out. You can get rid of the decision or the sin, but the hole is still there. Right? And the hole is going to be there for forever. And so I probably did not realize back then, um, like I said, just the, the ramification or how... Um, you know, how the decisions you make shape the course of your life for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, just being more careful with those, uh, those decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Trying to think of something else, but that's, that's what comes to mind. That's perfect. Well, Dr. Ganey, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom praying for any listener that we can switch our mindset from regular leadership to wanting to be in service to those we're leading. Um, I think it's great advice. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been great.